Hi everyone, welcome back to Intent Report's Pulse Update, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss what's up, what's down, what's working and not working, and generally keep our finger on the pulse of how the internet is holding up week over week. This week we're discussing stale data and the problems it can cause. We'll look at issues Slack experience when its cache data wasn't deemed fresh enough and was seemingly bypassed, as well as some indexing issues uh, Google had, and how Cloudflare experienced DNS resolution issues for around four hours on October the 4th. And joining me to discuss all this this week is Kamal Shankta, my good friend, colleague, principal internet analyst at Thousand Eyes, and genuinely nice guy. Kamal, welcome back to the Pulse Update podcast. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's awesome to be back on the uh, podcast. Uh, you know what? Like, genuinely nice guys, uh, good t shirt idea. <laughs> I think so. I think we have to get printed up there with your picture. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> So let's start with the download, my TLDR summary of what to know about the internet this week in just a few minutes or less. Data freshness matters, and as we've seen time and time again, stale data can definitely cause some trouble. In recent weeks, data was a bit past its prime, seems to have led to a couple of instances. So Slack, a cloud-based meshing app for businesses, stopped loading for some users for 20 minutes in the early hours of Friday, October the 6th. The official cause instance was given as an issue where certain backend Slack processes were pulling data from the database rather than their cache, which caused strain on their servers. We'll discuss this in more detail later, but for now, it's worth remembering that working as designed doesn't always equate to a good digital experience. In another example of stale data causing disruptions, Cloudflare experienced DNS resolution issues for around four hours on October the 4th. This was due to a stale root zone file. I will explore this in more detail later in the episode, but here's a brief summary of what happened. According to Cloudflare's detailed explanation of the issue, a new resource record, ZoneMD, was incorporated into the highest level of DNS structure, the root zone, under a planned change. However, some systems were not able to pass the new uh, record, which meant zones couldn't be loaded and served in their entirety, which saw effectively stale entries used as they were available in the memory cache as a result of the last successful pull made on 21st September. The company is set to make changes following the incident, including adding monitoring and visibility. Another news, on October the 5th, Google experienced a search indexing issue that affected the indexing of newly published content during a nearly six hour period. As of the recording of this podcast, Google hasn't released an official explanation of the incident. Search is a key element across a number of services, and while in this case the impact appeared to be limited to degradation for a subset of services, it's a good reminder that understanding all dependencies in the complete service delivery chain can potentially assist in reducing impact by understanding specifically where they are and where, the, uh, the, where you need to either mitigate around it or where, um, uh, where you can actually optimize that, that performance. Google also experienced another disruption around two weeks uh, prior to this, impacting Google's calendar. It's on September 21st. Some Google Calendar web and mobile users experienced 500 internal errors, which is an ability to process the, the, uh, the request when trying to access the calendar on the web's main page and while interacting with events. According to a company statement, the root cause was a software update that triggered an unintended bug, which was then compounded by an increase in invalid internet calendar scheduling, ICS, from Gmail to Calendar. The issues were subsequently mitigated by scaling up the calendar resources, filtering traffic to calendar backends, and then by rolling back the ICS file processing change. This incident provides an important point about updates, which is correlating any proposed changes with some form of validation for the digital experience for the complete service at the same time the update is deployed. This is going to help reduce impact by immediately notifying of any deviation. You have to remember that we're making an individual change to a particular module or particular part of that when um, uh, we, have no we don't necessarily understand what impact that might have on the whole system. So by actually monitoring the whole system and verifying it, you can understand what's going to go on 
uh, across there. The minute you press your change, you know it's potentially you that's instigated it. You can roll it back or take steps to mitigate that problem there. So that's it for the download for this week. Now let's dive deeper into a few of those outages and some recent trends we've seen. As always, we've included the chapter links in the description box below so you can skip ahead to sections that are most interesting to you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, we'd love if you take a minute to hit subscribe button now. It really helps us out and also make sure that you're the first to know when a new episode drops. And as always, please feel free to email us at internetreport at thousandice.com. We always welcome your feedback, questions, and suggestions. And with that, let's take a look at the overall outage trends we've been seeing. So during a two week period from September 25th to October the 8th, global outages decreased from 194 to 136, which is a 30% decrease compared to the previous weeks, which was September the 18th and 24th. However, the following week, uh, we observed outages increased by 35%, rising from 136 to 184. So yes, it's interesting to see that also US-centric outages reflected the same pattern initially dropping from 83 to 58, which is a 30% decrease, which is quite nice compared to the September uh, 18th to 24. And then outages rose from 58 to 69 the next week, which is a 90% increase. Yeah, yeah, and okay, so the, we saw rises in across the board within this two week period, which is actually in line with the patterns we've observed across previous years. But I'm wondering how that was reflected in the proportion of US-centric outages to the global number. Remembering that we've been seeing US outages make up 40% more of all observed outages for really an extended period this year. That's actually quite interesting uh, statistic that 40% of them are contributing to the global overall number, which is, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, but from September 25th to October 8th, we actually saw a break in this trend, which US-centric okay. outages accounting for just 38% of all observed outages from September 25th to October 8th. Uh, this marks only the second time uh, since April that US-centric mm -hmm. outages did not account for at least 40% of all observed outages in given two-week period, which is you know, which is quite interesting. The thing is, like we saw the uh, you know quite interesting trend of outages going down, and then they actually picked up. But uh, truth be told, we are getting to the uh, you know uh, post-summer vacation uh, time in Northern Hemisphere, at least, uh, as part of which people are getting back to work, like, you know, uh, vacations are done, you know, more changes are being executed. So I'm guessing that uh, what we might actually see is going to be increasing these trends. Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting you say that. You're getting back to work. We've been work all the time down here in the Southern Hemisphere. So so what we're starting to see with that is we actually is exactly what you say there. We're moving close to this trend we've seen in previous years. And we're going to be it's really, really interested to see how that continues. Now, as this fortnight we're discussing here covers the end of September, uh, what I want to take a look at is the month over month trends in September. Um, so in September, the total number of uh, global outages observed increased from 727 to 770, which is 6% rise when compared to August. Uh, and then the outages also rose in the US, uh, but at a much steeper rate, increased from 288 to 352, which is 22% surge, which kind of goes in line with exactly what you were saying then about sort of we're coming out of this Northern Hemisphere summer and we start to see the increase. I think like we are going to see like this pattern going up, uh, but, you know, hopefully I'm going to be mistaken and we are going to have like really nice <laughs> and calm time. Yeah, the, the thing to remember about those outages that we're seeing though is, is when you go back and reflect, and we'll cover sort of the notable outages we've seen, we're going to dive into them. But when we talk about these outages, 
they don't necessarily all have to be um, a, a user impact or detrimental. Remember, the internet is incredibly resilient. We've got these uh, uh, workarounds and these diverse routes we can take. But also, when we actually look into the details of these outages and actually see those, we can actually see and you can correlate those to different times of the day. So we can actually see sort of a lot of these occurring in what we deem outside business hours. So that's like 8 to, 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 to 5 p.m. or outside um, uh, uh, 8 till midnight in your case there. But we, we're sort of going um, uh, looking at sort of the, these things there. So to that point then is they're done to cause the least amount of damage. Which, which is kind of normal if you think about it, like you would expect them to execute uh, these maintenances during the off office hours. At least we're in, you know, uh, parts of the world where office hours are at the time, right? You know, the, the funny thing is like uh, office hours are always happening somewhere, right? But exactly. we're the, you know, <laughs> where are your customers? Like, you know, so um, that's kind of like an interesting balancing act. But yeah, um, it's, it's quite interesting to see uh, all of these trends, uh, you know, uh, shaping out in a in a format that we get to see like uh, on our on our podcasts. And that's you're absolutely right. And before I move on to that, this is a very valid point you made. I was going to say it's always five pm somewhere, so it's interesting different balance between workouts. But but the the thing to that is you're actually right. It's critical to understand where your users are so that you can actually then sort of understand the impact it's going to have. Right. So with that, let's discuss some of the outages from the last few uh, few weeks as we go under the hood. our first outage, Slack stopped loading for some users for 20 minutes in the early hours of Friday, October the 6th. The instance official course explains on Slack's status page and was related to an issue where certain back-end Slack processes were pulling data from their database rather than their cache, which caused strain on their servers. Uh, and it appeared that the issue happened due to data that was perceived to be too stale. Essentially, rather than serving the data from the cache, which had been prefetched by the system, uh, the system correctly defaulted to retrieve data from the source. However, as a result of this, it hit a system that wasn't designed to handle so many concurrent requests and subsequently couldn't process all the simultaneous requests. The system then had issue, uh, to issue codes to affect that was ultimately unable to respond. So it sent 500 codes, said I cannot respond to this request around there, which resulted in a user being unable to load any data. So Kamal, do you want to take us through what that actually looks like from a Thousand Eyes perspective? Uh, gladly, Mike. For all of those listening audio only on the podcast, what we are looking at here on the screen is a view of the outages seen from the Thousand Eyes platform. I'll be sure to talk you through it so you don't miss out. And for those who aren't familiar, Thousand Eyes is a platform that gives you a great view into the entire digital supply chain. We have Thousand Eyes agents across the internet providing us multiple vantage points to see where disruptions are happening at both the network and application server levels. Visibility like this can be especially useful for, uh, to help the operations teams quickly identify and fix issues that come up, in addition to creating mitigation strategies in advance that can enable you to minimize impact. So now I'm going to show the Internet Insights uh, share link uh, or snapshot in time that actually shows this outage in a little bit more details. And what we are looking at is timeline and we can see uh, as indicated by a spike in um, uh, in spiking number of the servers that we are looking here on the timeline that obviously during this time there was something uh, that was happening. If we uh, click on the purple line, we can see that on October 6th, um, in between, uh, uh, between 8.52 to 
905 UTC, uh, we saw the elevated number of errors uh, related to the slack. One thing I want to point out here is, and this is kind of, uh, we, we know what happened here, but it's kind of indicative to saw when we're looking at load conditions. So, we, you know, we said we suddenly hit these systems there. That steps up where we see the number of servers impacted where you're looking from there kind of shows us that this was incremental. So you know, we see these situations where we see lights on, lights off. See this dead one there? But when we ever see a step, to me, as a pattern, a man loves patterns, we actually like to think, okay, I'm looking at something here low related. So that suddenly gives us an issue. We're saying, okay, this is an accumulated impact. Yes, correct. Uh, the other thing is like, uh, you know, speaking about this particular outage, like uh, we, uh, based on the updates that we received from Slack, right, uh, we know what happened and you can actually see how like uh, these steps correlate probably with, uh, you know, backend being overloaded with requests, right? So there's a clear indication on like, or correlation with essentially what happened. Um, uh, speaking about it, we can see that uh, we saw a very large number of agents uh, from different uh, uh, geographies trying to reach out Slack, and we can see that uh, pretty much all of these uh, requests are, or quite large number of these requests uh, were um, affected. The other interesting thing about uh, this particular view that I always kind of find surprising is actually, uh, uh, you know, Within the grouping options of the uh, of the uh, product itself, so if you click on the uh, destinations by application and you select server network, you're going to quite clearly see that even though this is an outage that was uh, affecting directly Slack, we can see that they were 100% uh, hosted in Amazon. So you can see here two different ASNs from the Amazon indicating that you know their infrastructure is hosted hosted over there. That's interesting as well, Kamal, because you know we're seeing that, and there's another correlation. So you see with the network there, no other applications being impacted at the same time that are hosted within the Amazon you know, the regions or wherever we're looking there. But also the fact then that we're looking at this, and this is differentiated, that this is an application issue or, or related to the application because, yeah, hovering over there, we see 500 errors. So we're seeing, um, uh, and 500 area is this internal unable to handle the process. I mean, again, covers a multitude of sins, but basically it's saying, it's a choke, it's a plea for help, but it comes back from the server down to there. So straight away we can say, okay, I'm actually reaching the server, I just can't process it, therefore my network's okay. And yes, the, the other thing and one of the benefits that actually uh, this view provides is actually uh, to figure out uh, where to contribute the, um, you know, where the responsibility is, you know, uh, so this is like really easy to navigate and then uh, straight away you can see like, okay, I can see what's the application that was affected, okay, like let's dive deep, like we can see, okay, the infrastructure is within the AWS and, you know, sometimes, for example, this can be very uh, useful uh, in a scenarios where uh, content delivery networks are used, used, CDNs, for example, like if CDN is going to have a problem, you know, it's quite easy to actually uh, you know, group by the um, uh, server network, and which gives you essentially a view. Okay, I can see that this is related to either Akamai or Fastly or any other network. So, I, I particularly like that view. The other thing, to your point, is that it actually gives us the uh, indication on what this was. So, outage error type is HTTP, and we can see that uh, those are 5xx response codes. Straight away, we know that it's application-related outage. You know, and your operational teams. Uh, 
you know, beta SRE, NRE, um, you know, uh, or typical uh, operations teams within the network engineering groups are not going to be wasting their times, you know, for something that's straight away identified as uh, identified as application-related issues. So essentially, you know, uh, blame games are not to be happening in, in these particular uh, scenarios. Like we know that this is application, so uh, issue might as well go to the application application team straight away to investigate because there's nothing for the networking team to do, which then ties us back together uh, to the fact that uh, in enterprises, one of the things that uh, managers and decision makers are actually fun uh, fundamentally uh, care for is this metric that's called um, mean time to resolution. So, you know, this direct, has direct correlation with that metric of MTTR as part of which, like, you know, by eliminating blame games, you get to the resolution faster. 100%, 100%, that's two points. Do we have an outage? Who's responsible? And who's accountable to actually make that, that resolution? But that information is key. So let's take a look. Once we got there, let's dive in. Let's have a look, see what that would look like at a mother test level. So we looked at this from the Internet Insights perspective. Let's go down a level and actually see what it looked like from an individual test. Uh, so the second view that we have of this particular issue uh, comes from the page load tests. Um, you know, and uh, page, in this particular case, what we are looking at uh, is the page load test that's executed from uh, various vantage points, in this particular case from Africa. And during the outage, we can quite clearly see that um, uh, page load uh, time uh, for Slack as indicated uh, by the, during the Slack outage as indicated by the purple line went down, which goes to uh, what we were previously saying on uh, this uh, same podcast that, you know, reducing page load time doesn't necessarily translate to the good event, right? Like, you know, you would want to think that your application all of a sudden like became uh, less heavy or, you know, uh, you know that you optimize something really fine. No, no, it, it just wasn't working the way it's supposed to. So, you know, sometimes like, you know, uh, things such as this are not necessarily good ones. But, uh, you know, as you can see, we clearly indicated that Slack was uh, having the application-related outage as indicated by the purple line. Now, now, if you look at the table view, we can see, uh, you know, statistics for different agents uh, across the Africa. Uh, and then uh, if I select one of these agents, uh, we are going to see uh, how this look, uh, agent looked from the perspective of that particular agent. So here, uh, just before the event has started, we can see that we were getting a page load time of 8.82 seconds. Uh, and we can see all the elements in the... Um, in the waterfall. Uh, however, if I click uh, during this particular time, you can quite clearly see that, you know, uh, certain first elements took significantly uh, less time and then the page wasn't loading the other elements that we were seeing uh, before. So going back here, this is a normal waterfall uh, during the uh, during the issue. This is like how it uh, this is how it looked like. So that's a really good point, Kamal. And one of the things I just want to highlight here is when we're looking at you're absolutely right when we talk about page load time improving, and certainly for such a short period of time when we've made no changes per se, then that's something we actually need to look at concern. But if you look at the elements underneath, what we see there is when we're in this period where we had the reduced page load time, we're looking at basically um, we can see that the time it takes to that 500 at the top there is excessive one, but everything else then is short durations essentially, but they're, they're style sheets, they're images, they're things that would expect a basic page to load. So straight away by looking at that and then the difference between afterwards, I can see that 
there you go. What I'm actually looking at now is um, is, is I'm, I'm not retrieving content. So again, we know it's application, we saw that from Insights, but we're getting further into where the source, uh, the, the, the potential cause of the problem is, which is something retrieving from the back end. That's correct. And the waterfall uh, view in general like, is super powerful because it gives you like this granularity that you you would expect to troubleshoot uh, issues such as this one, you know, um, successfully. Uh, you know, there were cases when we were looking into the uh, waterfall, uh, uh, waterfalls for the issues with CDN-related uh, issues where it would be uh, pretty obvious that the issue with that particular JavaScript that was hosted at one of these uh, was having a hard time loading. So you can actually, you know, quite easily attribute where the issue is and then you can work from there. Um, this, particular, uh, this particular issue was also visible on the uh, HTTP server view as part of which... Uh, before the issue, we can see that everything was working fine, and then all of a sudden, like we uh, during the uh, period of this particular application-related outage, we see the dip to pretty much zero percent availability. Availability is nothing else than ability of our application to uh, of our agents to execute several steps towards the target uh, of the test itself. So that being said, uh, we are looking for the DNS. We are uh, checking whether we can establish a connection. We are checking whether we can negotiate successful S, uh, SSL or TLS session. You know, we are measuring time it takes to send and receive the first byte. And ultimately what we are looking for is information on what's the response code that we got from the server itself. So if we get like 200 or 300 um, uh, um, status messages from the server, we consider that fine. If we get something like 5xx, you know, we know that we are dealing with some uh, issue. So in this particular case, if I um, uh, click on the Cairo Egypt uh, age, agent, I can cl clearly see that this particular agent was getting 500 internal server error, which is indicative that this was application related. and. Uh, just going back to what we were speaking before, uh, as clearly visible during this outage, like uh, it wasn't networking related uh, event during this outage. There was no uh, fluctuations in uh, packet loss, latency, or jitter, which indicates that this was purely application related issue, which you know backs up what we were seeing before about the uh, mean time to resolution being a core critical issue. Like there is no question whether this is something that networking team or uh, should be involved in. Obviously, it's not this should go to the application team. Application sh uh, team should uh, start troubleshooting this uh, uh, issue straight away and uh, get it to resolution, which is ultimately going to positively have a positive um, net effect on the on the MTTR metric itself. 100%. 100%. 100%. And, and, and the key point today, I guess, sort of wrapping it up there, is exactly what you said. What we want to do is we want to identify, is there a problem? Where is that problem occurring? And then in this part, we can actually pass it to the applications, to the SREs, CREs, with specific uh, contextual information that they can understand. Here it is. This is a 500 error. It's coming from this system, this server, when we're requesting this information. They're very targeted. So as you said, can reduce that uh, mean time to resolution and get things back up and going again. So, so with that, I want to talk about another example of, uh, of stale data causing disruptions uh, when we're going to talk about a recent Cloudflare outage. Cloudflare experienced DNS resolution issues for around four hours on October the 4th. So the company provided a detailed explanation of the issue. 
which began as a new so new resource record, uh, Zone MD, was was incorporated at the highest level of of, a D of uh, DNS structure, the the, the root zone. Uh, during a, this was done as a planned change. Now, while the root zone was retrieved as normal, Cloudflare's uh, 1.1.1 DNS resolver uh, appears to have problems passing the new record, and as a result, it uh, kept relying on a known working version that did not contain the new record. Uh, the outage occurred weeks later then, so this is a bit of a slow burn. So as Cloudflare stated, the DNS sec sig uh, signatures in the version of the root zone that were successfully pulled on 21st of September expired, and consequently there was no newer versions that Cloudflare Resolver Systems were able to use. So Kamal, before we move on to that, to, take, to discuss this, can you give us a brief overview of Zone MD and why and how it can be used? Yeah, it's a new resource record for the DNS. The idea here was to introduce the digests for complete zones, right? So essentially the mm -hmm. zone in this particular case would be a root zone that contains information on like all the, um, you know, ways to, uh, you know, so to say, uh, redirect the traffic towards the uh, TLDs and stuff like that. Uh, and oh. the idea here is to provide complete, uh, uh, complete, um, they're just for the complete zone. So if you think about it, like, uh, you know, uh, it's an interesting feature, uh, you know, to a certain degree similar to DNSSEC, but DNSSEC goes uh, to, uh, you know, very granular level, while this is a digest for complete uh, zone itself, you know, which which is quite interesting right. from the... Uh, uh, which is quite interesting from the some of the challenging uh, perspectives. So, for example, if the zone is really large, that means and frequently frequently changes. Uh, that means that you are going to keep on uh, you know calculating digest itself uh, very often, which is like interesting challenge uh, by itself. But you know, while TSIG or uh, T signature for zone transfers is used for yeah. the transport security of the uh, zone transfers and stuff like that. Um, this is just a digest. So essentially, you calculate the hash value that you can check uh, as part of your security considerations. That's essentially what they were trying to do. And in this particular case, the real Got interesting it. thing is that Cloudflare was ingesting data uh, for some 14 days uh, that they couldn't parse before yeah. noticing it based on the server fails, right, on the DNS. Uh, that's the most interesting aspect of this outage, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to your point there, the change took place several weeks before, uh, but it didn't come apparent. So this was like I said, this slow burn. It was sitting there, they're, they're, they're waiting there, um, and then they identified the issue uh, with a rise in uh, in servfail error codes. Now, like servfail error codes, a little bit like five hundred or five XXs, sort of cover a you know a multitude of, of, of reasons there. But it does give us some sort of indication of what was happening there. Um, you know, one of the attributed causes could be network connectivity. But if we look at this in the context. Uh, including the timing of the instance, we said it becomes there, um, and as you say, timing it to the zone MD, which is which is essentially providing some sort of validation for that whole digest. There, it it, it became probable that this was um, uh, related to that DNSX. So I'm talking about time. I'm talking about the time, the expiration. So we we actually when the um, uh, the, the DNSX. Uh, uh, timed out on the 4th of October uh, from there, then we started to see this rise in, in server error. So it's actually that validation error at that point before that we're using old stuff. But it also, it's also a very good example of how uh, changes on the global infrastructure can affect you, right? So, you know, they were ingesting this uh, uh, 
roots on information just to speed up their own queries. So essentially, you know, yeah. uh, their blog goes into quite a good amount of details on actually, you know, what are the mechanics and what they were trying to achieve. Uh, but the interesting thing here is the fact that, you know, uh, they were relying on something down the digital supply chain, so to say, and, you know, that uh, supply change effectively changed, you know, and given the fact that it was probably working for years in a way that it was uh, supposed to be working, this new change down the digital supply chain uh, directly affected them. But overall, they showcased very uh, good ownership, you know, and they moved really fast towards the resolution when, uh, you know, what was uh, perceived to have like negative end user effect uh, was observed, right? Absolutely. And again, kudos to them. The, the, you said the blog post is, is, is really good. It's very detailed. It explains what's going on, lays everything out. The information is, is very good. And, and to their credit, again, they said they, they recognized that there was a, a potential a gap in some of the monitoring, as you said, about understanding that it wasn't being passed correctly. And they're, they're looking to actually uh, change their processes and how they actually do that to make sure this doesn't happen again. So that, that's all good. But again, I'll come back and just sort of wrapping this one up there then is, is this, this concept again, you know, um, where, where there's one small part, you know, we're talking about the DNS, which is essentially, I'm saying one small part, it's a foundational component of actually making these connections coming across there. But the fact if I can't resolve the name, I can't move, move forward uh, in, in, in this process. And if I can't trust it, I can't um, basically send that, that information out there. So it's, it's critical to be able to understand, in, in two aspects here, it's critical to understand my end-to-end -end delivery, all the dependencies, all the um, um, uh, components that make that up. So as you said earlier, so I can actually reduce that MTTR, I can actually reduce the impact on my users, and I can maintain that digital experience. But also understand my processes are going on. And if I need to have sort of different monitoring systems that look at different canaries or different triggers uh, within there, then they need to be included to give me that holistic perspective of that overall service delivery chain. You know, and to be completely fair, it's very hard thing to do, right? But mm. but it's something that we as a you know field and we as a uh, engineers, be it a network engineers, uh, software developers, you know, regardless of SREs, NREs, we need to strive for. That's that that's a crucial one, you know, uh, to prevent uh, situations such as this one uh, from happening uh, in the future. Exactly. We're always learning. We're always learning, always building this stuff up. But we'll see these things occur and you understand from these patterns and then we can put stuff in place, you know, to build up from there. And that's that, I think that's the key there. So, Kamal, it's been an absolute pleasure as always, mate. And I really hope to have you back again really soon. Uh, thank you so much for the invite. Uh, I always have a really nice time uh, speaking to you, Mike, and hopefully we can do this uh, sooner rather than later. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So that's our show. Please like and subscribe, we really appreciate it and it's valuable to us. As I mentioned at the top, uh, not only does this ensure that you're notified as soon as a new episode is available, but it really helps us shaping the content of the show for you. So follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at Thousand Eyes, and any questions, feedback, or guests you'd like to see, please send us a note at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. So until next time, goodbye.